And there's a lot of different things that the city's kind of just quietly improving upon. And I feel like that's like where the potentially like very, very interesting stuff is. Welcome to Kelowna Talks, where we explore the why behind the decisions that shape your city. Together, we open the curtain and dig deep into current issues, plans, and policies that come out of City Hall. Thanks for joining us as we talk about Kelowna and the topics that matter to you. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob Evans, Partnerships Director at the City of Kelowna and host of our Kelowna Talks podcast. I acknowledge that our community is located on the traditional, ancestral, unceded territory of the Silks Okanagan people. We are talking today about getting out of our cars. What is the city doing to get people out of their cars? Specifically, we are looking at something called our micro mobility network. It's a big word, sounds technical, complicated, but I think it's going to be pretty straightforward with the guests we have today. It's really all about scooters, bikes, skateboards, small lightweight machines meant for short trips. Probably most contentious has been the scooters but we'll get into that in a little bit. Welcome, Matt Morona, our mobility specialist. Matt, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you like to do outside of specializing in mobility. I'm guessing you may own a bike or two, maybe even a skateboard. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me, Bob. And uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I work as the mobility specialist at the city of Kelowna. Definitely on a bike, um, though I am using sometimes shared bikes now, which is exciting. Uh, shared awesome. e-bikes that have launched a couple weeks ago in Kelowna. Um, and yeah, I've, uh, I've been working at the city for about four years, kind of moving on from a, a role that really focused on how we uh, encourage people to to walk and bike more, to transitioning now and and responding to some of these new business models that are that are showing up, um, and a, a little bit of a different uh, way of thinking about how we as the city manage our transportation network and and welcome different types of uh, services and offerings. You've likely seen a lot of explosion in like uh, food delivery or ride hailing or now micromobility and all of those things kind of place different kinds of pressures that we've historically seen uh, and need a different lens. So that's a lot of what the, what I do. Okay, you're you want to get right into it. I, I'm trying to figure out who you are. So can you tell us a little little bit about where you came from? Have you always been in Kelowna? Give us a little bit of insight to who Matt really is first. Just let's just get to know each other. Sure, yeah. Uh, so I've, I've lived in Kelowna for four years. I've actually lived in a whole lot of different Canadian cities. Uh, lived in, grew up, grew up in Toronto. Uh, lived in Halifax for about five years. Uh, lived in Kingston as well as Calgary. Kind of made my way east uh, for, for a little while uh, or, or, or west. And um, uh, yeah, so I've, I've worked in different municipalities uh, and really like the, um, yeah, really like the struggle of uh, taking a big organization that's got a lot of potential to do good and uh, shifting it ever so slightly uh, to kind of um, kind of help it along its way. It's, that's a really, really exciting challenge for me. Interesting. Well, well forgive me about the Toronto part. I, I moved out here 28 years ago from Toronto, so I understand that part of the world, and uh, I'm happy to have you out west. Um, you're obviously passionate about what you do, and we're going to get into that in a minute here. So inspirationally, what's the vision when it comes to people's shift to different modes of transportation and getting people out of cars and trucks. It's got to be a tough go, especially, you know, out west where we love our vehicles, we love driving, we love pulling up in front of exactly where we're going and, uh, you know, getting us out of our cars into other other forms of transportation probably is not that easy. 
Yeah, I, I think I think definitely Kelowna has had um, a little bit of a moniker of like you know the most car centric community in Canada. Um, a little bit of that is, is not super is deserving. Um, uh, we have we have a lot of plated motor vehicles, yeah. but we actually own the the highest number of RVs. And when you uh, eliminate in, the RVs in the city or the region, yeah, in, in the city of Kelowna. And oh. if, if you eliminate the RVs, you kind of get the same rate of car ownership that we see on average in Canada. So it might be that we like our RVs more than potentially we like our cars more than everywhere else in Canada. Uh, and there's another element, right? So we we see actually. Kelowna is kind of like in the top three cities for um, a number of trips or a proportion of trips that happen by bike uh, in Canada, which is something that I don't think we talk about a lot. Um, so it's not uh, it's not as cut and dry as like, hey, everybody wants to drive everywhere. Uh, it's a lot of people um, actually have many different ways that they try to get around. And, um, and that's a shift that we're seeing as more uh, Kelowna residents move here from bigger centers. And, and I've noticed that. I think we all have. I mean, um, in the years that I've been in Kelowna, there's just more and more people on bikes. Uh, we talked a little bit of that with Ryan Smith. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, the the transition of getting people out of their cars. And what about this time of the year? I noticed that you had a helmet on when you walked in. So did you take one of the new electric bikes? Did you take your own bike? Will Will you bike all the way through the winter? How do we convince people that in these unseasonable times uh that they should they should be on a bike yeah we, we definitely see uh way more people riding uh when it's the summertime and living's easy all that kind of thing sure. um then in the then in the winter time when we have snow and ice and all these other things to deal with um as well as just cold and, and uncomfortableness um i think that when we look at it it actually might not be as much about the weather as how we treat our cycling facilities. So we generally don't clear most of our bike lanes in the wintertime. And there's actually more of a, a correlation between that than actually the weather with the weather being an issue. Um, I like to kind of joke with, with colleagues that um, we are a city of people who go to the mountains to throw ourselves down a freezing hill. But if you ask people to get on a bike in the wintertime, that's that's a no-no. It's too cold. Um, so I think, I think there are ways of, of kind of um, managing that, but another element is um, making sure that uh, we've set people up for success and cleared our um, cycling facilities to the highest degree we can. And you know, there's there's challenges to that, but it's something that we're having the conversation with our operations team and and through the transportation master plan, kind of thinking about how we can make this a, a year-round cycling. City. Okay, so I was just going to ask you that. So you said that we're not clearing the bike paths in the winter time, as as a city. So are we working towards that and does operations now recognize our, they must recognize our civic goal to achieve more bike trips in the wintertime. Yeah. So are you communicating with them on this? Yeah, we, we, have, we, just, we just have a ton of bike facilities. Um, our uh, protected bike facilities, the ones that are more, most important to the network, in recent years we have been clearing those to a high standard. Um, but some of them actually create a little bit of challenges because the thought has been we have these areas that are meant for snow storage Let's stripe them as bike lanes. And then all of a sudden we're talking about, hey, what if they aren't for snow storage anymore? So there's just a logistical challenge of where do you move the snow to if you can't put them on the bike lane and you've got the sidewalk right against that? Like, where is the space? And it's not necessarily that that also ha all has to happen at once, but um, but it is one of those things where we're noticing, a, a, a based on our data, this kind of connection. And it takes time to kind of get all of the pieces in motion to make sure that that happens. Okay, it takes time. Yeah, I get that. 
brings me to the, the uh, my next question, which is usually at the city, we like to look at other cities that are doing it better than we're doing it now that we aspire to be. Are there other cities, North America, worldwide, that you look at your colleagues in, in this type of transportation area look at to say, wow, I wish I was only, you know, Portland or what cities come to mind and how do I give listeners an idea of of what you're working on and what we aspire to at, at the city of Kelowna? Yeah, so, so Kelowna has its own unique context and that's really, really important to realize. Um, but there are some ideas that are being um, being kind of experimented with in other cities that I think are really relevant to Kelowna's context. Um, in general, our trips are actually very, very short. In in Kelowna, we're a small city, and in terms of length, they're 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 they're, they're quite manageable on on a bike or by walking. A lot of them are actually like in that kind of ballpark. Um, but when we think about how we we develop, one of the ways of thinking about that is like 15-minute cities. So being able to do all of your um, errands or activities all within a 15-minute trip. And that plays off our OCP. Totally, uh, yeah. Focus in terms of our urban town centers and trying to get more density in our urban centers so that your trips are smaller. So it's they're all connected. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we're seeing that with the investment in our urban centers um, as ways to kind of drive that number of amenities so you can kind of get everything done within, you know, very close proximity. Um, and a lot of different cities have been trying that, but it's not necessarily, hey, one city is doing it better or worse. It's really about just like the idea of how you build out that community um, being really, really important to, to how we move into the future. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you didn't mention a city. I, I, I'm looking for names. <laughs> so, you know, is, is there something like, you've got to have some, some names you can give us reference to. Yeah, no, I, I think what there's... You, you know, who's doing it right? Yeah, a lot of people are doing different things right and diff- different things wrong. I, I do think that Portland is one of those cities in kind of like, you know, pretty proximate to us that's doing a lot of those things right in terms of thinking about how it can interconnect its bike grid really, really well, um, how it can really level up the amount of investment that they put into their transit system. Um, and it's really only a, you know, a 400,000 person city. So it's not actually that large um, in the context. Like we're not comparing ourselves to the Paris or the, the New York because they have different types of challenges and different types of solutions. Another thing that's really interesting is we always think about cities evolving in this kind of, um, in this path. But as we see more uh, disruptive technologies show up and, and different things like that, those paths for smaller cities to kind of get to where a bigger city might be are actually very, very different than the path that city might have taken 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I don't like to kind of say, hey, we should be doing this. Then all of those historical decisions that made sense at the time um, you know, could, could be seen as like, oh, we want to do this pathway of things, uh, whereas the path for us is actually pretty different. Mm. Okay, different path. So how are we doing then on that path? Are we, is there any reference point that you like to look at when you're addressing members of the public to say, hey, you know what, we have X amount of bicycle kilometers per resident, or, you know, we have a certain amount of our population that's actually uh, participates in alternative transportation facilities? Like, how do we measure this as a, as a city? And therefore our our success and is it is it based on a metric or is it just based on something else? I, I think one of the the interesting metrics that I've uh, seen lately about Kelowna specifically is in a study that uh, Dr. Megan Winters did at the Simon Fraser University. Um, she's looking at mid-sized cities 
and how um, how people react to bike infrastructure that's been in installed there and specifically in, in a Canadian context. Uh, she's looking at Halifax, Kelowna, and Victoria. And out of all those cities, Kelowna was the place that most heavily supported new investments in bicycle infrastructure. Um, and I think that's really, really exciting to see um, like a, a really, really large portion of our population um, being, being kind of in that in that bucket of wanting to see more and more of that investment. Um, and it's also important to kind of realize that we are in a community that does, does drive a decent amount. Um, and for our transportation master plan, we're trying to essentially slice up the pie and trying to figure out how we make those shifts from a systemic way. So that's how we've kind of been been working through that for the last okay, while. Okay, you're, you're reading my mind because my next question was on the transportation master plan. So my understanding is that we have a pretty aggressive target in our transportation master plan to get people out of their cars. My understanding it's in the range of 40%. So can you talk about that? How are we going to get there? It does that seem like a scary number well it probably doesn't to you does it seem like a scary number to your colleagues um you know in the transportation department how's how's that you know how do we deal with that at city hall what kind of plans do we put in place uh to to help achieve that 40 yeah. percent is that, is that the right number yeah absolutely it's the right number um i i think that we have a lot of, of work to do over the next 20 years to deliver on that type of goal um, and a lot of room to, to grow. We, we see a significant number of our, of our uh, trips ma being made by car and um, there's, uh, there's the potential for us to, to shift a lot of them because a lot of times people are making that trip in their car because they might not have a better option uh, or they might not have a network of options to allow them to be car light uh, in the city, it might not allow them to be a one car family or something of that nature. And once you kind of get to some of those network effects as you add new options, like you take transit and walking and biking and add shared scooters when you need them and add ride hailing as, as, as uh, inexpensive options, but options that you can kind of uh, mix and match, it becomes really, really exciting. And we're seeing cities that have kind of tried this for a couple of years make massive gains in, in that space where people see uh, options they can depend on and not have to depend on their car all the time. Yeah, I would love that. It, uh, yeah, that, that great words that speaks to me personally, for sure. So I have notes here about a concept called the last kilometer. Maybe it was called the last mile, but I made it to our metric system with respect to transportation and uh, the bus gets me close to my destination, but I'm not quite there. How does that play into this idea of using other modes of transportation? Yeah, so so we're we're a small city, uh, a mid-sized city, where um, when you use the bus, um, you get your to your destination, but you might get um, you know 400 meters or a kilometer away when you're ine inevitably dropped off, and you might actually have to do a, a quick walk on the front end of that uh, trip. So all told, you're actually, you know, most of your trip might be getting to the bus stop and getting away from it to your final destination. So when you're trying to make transit uh, stronger, um, one of the challenges is you can't necessarily drop people off right at the doorstep, but you can build out solutions that get them there. And that's really, really exciting. It's a it's a spot for, um, for bikes uh, or um, higher quality walking facilities or even shared scooters, shared e-bikes. Uh, especially when they're all tied in. Um, one of the things that I've um, been recently kind of excited about is Google Maps right now will give you uh, directions for obviously transit, for driving, for walking, for biking, but also mix and match transit trips with shared scooters. 
Um, and we're seeing more and more of that. So you don't actually have to think about it. You just have to look at the cost and you have to look at the time and then you've got directions. You don't have to like really plan out these things in, in, in you know incredible detail because some of these technology tools are helping us on our way. And I think that's really, really cool. Well, I think it is. And uh, even in my friend group, there are people that, uh, you know, we, we book meetings downtown and they show up. And I said, how'd you get here that quick? I said, well, I hopped on a scooter. It's like, what? Yeah, you know, I, I found one. I did it. It wasn't that hard. So it's it's happening. And uh, I, I think that's fantastic. And I want to switch now. Let's, so let's talk about scooters and e-bikes. Um, certainly with the scooters, the introduction has been a little bit of a rough ride. What happened there? And are you were you surprised at what happened and some of the feedback? And where are we going with scooters and e-bikes? Yeah, so if, if you actually look at um, the, you know, if, if you walk through the media articles from like Calgary, which was the first city to have shared e-scooters uh, across the city in Canada, um, we actually had a pretty similar uh, experience. Um, they, they launched, there was concern about um, vehicles parked improperly, vehicles ridden on the sidewalk. They actually required vehicles to be on the sidewalk, but there was still concern about it. Um, and there was also kind of concern from the medical community. So all of those things happened and came to bear. Um, and at the end of the day, at the end of their, their pilot, after a year and a half or so, um, they had, you know, unanimous council uh, approval of the ability to go out and, and do that again. And, and actually, that's what we got this week. Um, so we know that there are challenges with regard to like parking, blocking the sidewalk, as well as people riding on sidewalks. Um, we also know there's a little bit of background there. People in Kelowna might not be used to thinking about the public realm in, in really fine detail. Um, we also see people double parking trucks and, and cars as they run in to get something. We, we see this type of thing, but we don't really react to it the same way. Um, and then for, for riding on the sidewalk, we actually see that in places where we have substandard or no bikes, bike facilities exist. Uh, and people are generally trying to protect themselves, but they're not doing it for their entire trip. And it's still really, really challenging because it does impact pedestrians and it's really uncomfortable when it, when it happens to you and there's someone coming down the sidewalk at you. Um, but one of the biggest things we can do, um, in addition to technology solution that gets scooters off the sidewalk, is make those people more comfortable at the end of the day because whether they're on a bike or they're on a scooter or on a skateboard, uh, if you don't have those comfortable facilities, people will move to protect themselves. That usually means the sidewalk, and that means that they're endangering other folks. So, Well, safety, mobility, comfort level, those are all pretty important things to all of us in, in the city. And I think that it's just a matter of us getting used to it as well. I mean, I, there's been a whole wide range of opinions, everything from let's get rid of them to this is wonderful. And I think as a growing city, we just need to be patient. Um, I think people will get used to them. They'll be more um, responsible with where they take them, where, where, they, where they leave them when they're done with them. And I, I think it's even evolved in the year or so since scooters have been around Kelowna. Now it just seems like they're neater. And I guess the companies are, are being more responsible in terms of picking up and making sure that they're in the right place. Is that, have you been talking to the suppliers and ensuring that happens or what's your conversation with the, uh, the providers, yeah, both the scooters and e-bikes? We connect with them every day um, pretty consistently. Um, we're, we're, we're on it in terms of um, when we see uh, an improperly parked scooter, we let them know. And we also kind of get reports from them about what they're doing uh, and have seen, you know, a, a significant amount of uh, warnings and fines issued to, to customers who are either riding on the sidewalk or parking improperly. So that 
you know, over time really builds an understanding of what's what's meant to happen and, and what you can't do when using the service. They want to make this work. They want it's to make this be, work. It's in their best interest as yeah. well. So they're they're listening, they're watching, they're they're complying. Yeah, and and there, there's also the, um, the there's also another element where um, where we know that the people who have been have been riding scooters um, they represent about twenty to thirty percent of Kelowna's adult population who's tried it at this point. Um, it's a really really significant number mm-hmm. over five months. Um, we don't usually uh, embark on the process of trying to teach twenty or thirty percent of our population something all at once. <laughs> and that, that's, that's part of a challenge too. Um, the, the uptake is really, really incredible. Uh, and that, that creates its own challenges. But then you get to the point where, um, when you, when you think it through, um, kind of teaching all those people how to use something new, that'll probably be part of, um, a lot of new things over the next little while where we see something being delivered that appeals to a lot of people and we're in the the driver's seat in terms of what we send them, what works, what kind of education gets ignored, what sticks, and how do you kind of police these types of things when it goes wrong. So I think it was really, really good learning for the next thing at the end of the day. Yeah. It's funny. You use the word driver's seat or the term. It's usually a car term. So you might have to rethink that one. So what people can't see is a smile on, on Matt's face. He's obviously really keen on this whole subject, um, I think, as we all are in the city. So tell me a little bit more about the e-bike rollout because it's brand new. Who are the companies? I understand there's two companies and what what do we have to look forward to with the e-bikes? Sure, actually we only have one uh, oh, e-bike provider. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, we've, we've seen them launch a couple of weeks ago. The The company is called Spin. They're owned by Ford, uh, the oh, same same folks okay. building the, the trucks on our roads. Um, so yeah, really, really exciting to see them in this like, this mobility space, thinking about how we move people. Um, and they also deliver um, e-scooters. So um, they're, they're bringing their e-bikes to, to Kelowna, and we're gonna have um, a process that kind of culminates in kind of mid, mid-April 2022, where we select two vendors, um, and they both deliver e-scooters and e-bikes to Kelowna okay, for maybe, two years. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about in terms yeah, of the, yeah, the, the two vendors. Yeah, um, But it's super exciting. Uh, if, you, if you look at this, the scooters they, or the, the e-bikes, they have swappable batteries. So instead of having to kind of collect all the vehicles and charge them up at another location, there's kind of just someone who's plugging and playing batteries all day. Um, the vehicles go kind of like 160 kilometer range. So you really don't have that much emissions associated with the operations. Um, and there's all, all sorts of nifty features like uh, they've got antimicrobial grips and uh, uh, the, the, there's a phone holder that actually charges your phone if you've got wireless charging on it. Um, so there's a lot of different kind of cool little innovations that we're likely going to see kind of pop up in, in, in different vehicles. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll see more of that when we come down to the competition for those combined permits for e-scooters and e-bikes in the future. So what's the uptake been in terms of an age di- distribution? Is there is it a, you know, a larger uptake for younger people, middle-aged, or is do you have those kind of demographics, or is there something you can tell the listeners? Yeah, sure. So the kind of when you, when you split Kelowna's population, um, our, our kind of median age is, is, is quite a bit older than most of Canada. Um, so looking at kind of who's using it, that ends up being kind of like 20 to 40-year-olds become 60% of users, roughly. Um, but we still have users that are 
55 plus, 65 plus, those ages. Um, but they're just there are fewer of them ultimately. Um, early adopters generally tend to be to be younger, um, and we've had 225,000 trips on this vehicle type for the you know the first uh, 150 days or so. So really, really significant adoption and uh, an excitement around this new option. Um, and we've eliminated about 150,000 kilometers. Of, um, of of drive drive miles on our road network, so you can kind of you can kind of see the the um, the potential really paying off. And when we look at kind of like how often people replace cars, about thirty three percent of all e scooter trips replace car trips, um, whether it's a taxi or your own personal car. So that's a really really significant number, but lines up well with what we see in other big cities like Calgary or Denver. Uh, with the same exact percentage. So uh, looking long-term, I'm thinking back to the future, levitating skateboards. Are we going to, you know, what's out there? So we have we have scooters, e-bikes. Is there anything other, any other modes of transportation, micro-transportation that are under development that we should be looking for? Or is this, is this, is the industry focusing on these two primary modes of transportation as the alternative modes? Yeah, it really depends on like a country by country basis, uh, kind of like what is popular where and, and where people are making investments. Um, and we're seeing um, we're seeing a lot of interest, of course, in e-scooters and e-bikes for, for shared services. Um, we're also one of the only cities in the world that's actually seen e-scooters before they've seen like Uber or Lyft. Um, so we're kind of still waiting on kind of those, those ride hailing options. Um, we've seen this significant explosion in like um, uh, grocery delivery as well as um, food delivery through the pandemic. And oftentimes you, you don't really think about that as transportation because you're not going anywhere. But you would have made that trip in a car or some other vehicle if you were trying to pick those things up. Um, so those fundamentally kind of factor into the transportation network in terms of what people are able to do and, and, and request and, and get in a certain amount of time. Um, which is exciting. The other thing that is kind of popping up. So let me stop you there. So are are you saying, maybe I missed a little bit, but are, is, is there an uptake on industry to use these modes of transportation as well? Or are you just talking about reducing in the amount of car trips? You know, are are you seeing food being delivered on e-bikes and is that coming as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with, with, with many of those, those apps, whether it's like skip the dishes or Uber eats, um, if you're in a city, your d- delivery is probably getting to you on from someone on an e- e-bike. Um, it's very, very unlikely to get there with someone in a car. Um, there's also other vehicles specifically that are being shared um, in generally like Europe or Asia. One of them is like an electric moped. Um, so Paris has, I think, tens of thousands of shared electric mopeds. And that just gets you a vehicle that can go a little bit of a further distance and cover maybe a different kind of trip than an e-scooter or an e-bike would. Um, so we have actually the ability in the city of Kelowna to allow for those vehicles to come, but we haven't really seen that investment come to Canada yet. Um, it's it's an exciting one, but it's also a little bit challenging because we know that we have motorcycles, but motorcycles are, are very easily one of the most dangerous vehicles on our road in terms of a per per use basis. So it's challenging to kind of balance these things where, yes, this is going to be an electric option. It's likely going to give people more opportunities and options. Um, but there's also this kind of safety element. So you got to balance a bunch of different things when you're thinking about how to roll out something to a larger population than 
than is typically being able to get on a, a motorcycle on a whim, essentially. Now I'm smiling because I finally had the city reference that I was looking for, Paris. You heard it here first, people. Kelowna's going to be like Paris. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> so we're coming toward the ends of our, to the end of our time, Matt. Uh, did I miss anything? Is there anything else from a, your departmental or your personal mandate within City Hall that you, you'd like to share with, uh, with the listeners? Yeah, I, I think there's like a lot of stuff that we don't really talk about that much, doesn't get in the media. Um, I manage a whole bunch of other things, um, like where we install bike racks in the city, where we have wayfinding signage that tells people how far it is to get different places if you're walking or biking. Um, and there's a lot of different things that the city's kind of just quietly improving upon. And I feel like that's like where the potentially like very, very interesting stuff is. Well, tell us, elaborate. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've got a couple minutes, elaborate on that. Yeah, like, I, I like the idea of wayfinding because I, when I'm walking, I, you know, I love to be able to know, okay, how far is it? Is it five minutes? Is it 10 minutes? So I've noticed the city is adding signage yeah. along the waterfront. So that, that's helpful. Yeah, and, and, and another thing that I think is, is probably one of the most exciting things out of my, my department um, is this change that we're making that's it's really only paint. Uh, sometimes it's a little bit of um, capital works, but essentially we're, we're taking those, um, those uh, they're, they're called channelized right turns. And they, they essentially, when you're, when you're walking, you kind of go and, and you wait on an island to cross the street, um, and then people kind of turn behind you, essentially, to kind of make that, that turn easier. Generally, we've designed those for, for speed and smoothness. And we've noticed that if you do that, it's actually much more dangerous. So the city has actually been piloting this idea of, um, of, of kind of making that angle a little, a little sharper and less smooth just by using Slowing paint. traffic down and, to and, do that, yeah. And it slows that kind of um, that, that, that traffic down, but it also means you have to look less far behind you to see if there's um, there's vehicles, and it's got like huge benefits for safety, and it's just this quiet thing that like we've been doing for a little while, and it's potentially one of the most game-changing ones, but definitely not um, something that that is all that exciting to, to other folks. But being able to use a little paint and save a whole bunch of lives is is really really important, or, or save a whole bunch of you know really significant injuries that we see. Um, that's uh, those targeted investments I think are one of the most strong pieces of our, of our, of our program. Easy and cost effective things yeah. that city likes to do. So exactly. yeah, that's fantastic. So what I didn't ask you as you're talking going, okay, or do you have an engineering background, a planning background? How did you get into this? What's your, you know, what, how did you turn on into a love of alternative transportation? I came at this from uh, an advocacy perspective. So I was working with not-for-profits and, um, and in, in, in Halifax specifically, and kind of just advocating for changes to our right-of-way and, and reading a lot about how transportation works and how to make it better. Um, so I don't have a specific background in this, but, uh, but for, for the amount of reading I've done and, and, and that kind of thing, that's a little more informal. So, so. the passion, the commitment, the... The, the focus of your life. So we're happy to have you. Uh, Matt, thanks for your time. It's been good to chat with you today and really appreciate having you on staff in the city of Kelowna and thinking about alternative transportation for all of us. So again, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kelowna Talks. For more conversations about topics that matter in your community, subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating and share Kelowna Talks with your friends and neighbours. 
If you'd like more information about this podcast and other big community conversations, visit Kelowna.ca slash community stories. 